Well, it's good to see all of you out this evening. It's nice to have you here. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to worship the Lord together, isn't it? No matter how we do it, it's just such an extraordinary thing that we're in God's family and that we have something to sing about. I was reading an article the other day. Um, it was, what, the 10th anniversary of John Lennon's death. And people were singing the praises of the Beatles. I was thinking what a wonderful thing it is to have the ability to sing the praises of someone who is forever, who is God, who is almighty, and who loves us and cares about us, who's relevant to our lives. Uh, we're really privileged to have that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get into our topic tonight. And I'll do my best to be done by 8.30. Lord, we thank you so much tonight for your grace in our lives, for your favor, Lord, for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you're merciful to each of us, that you even put us in your family, Lord. We think what a privilege it is that we have to even worship you. What a privilege it is, Lord, that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. I'm not always sure why, Lord. I don't know if there always is a reason. I certainly didn't merit it, and I don't know anyone else in this room who did. But we bless you and thank you, Lord, so much for your grace to us. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that if our lives were to end tonight, if you returned tonight, we'd be with you forever. And the singing that we did tonight would only scratch the surface of what heaven's going to be like. The rejoicing, the pure joy, and the praises and the song and the instrumentation is going to be something extraordinary, like the world has never ever seen, like we have never seen or experienced. I thank you, Lord, tonight that you're a reality. That you're real. Our world is groping, Lord, for answers. Life magazine is asking the world, who is God? The Star and Tribune are asking the children of Minneapolis, who is God? We thank you, Lord, we know you. We thank you that we know who God is, that we've experienced Him in our life in Jesus Christ, and that we don't have to grope anymore. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just, by your Spirit, help us overcome the misconceptions of Christianity tonight. Help, Lord, open our minds and illumine our hearts so that we can see clearly. Free us from these misconceptions and misunderstandings that we've had, that we might really experience you in our life the way you intended. I just thank you, Lord, that you're a personal God a God who lives in each of us to know you personally. You're not some entity out there, as Brent was sharing earlier, some being, but you're a personal, loving, good God. And we thank you, Lord, for dying for us. Thank you for coming to this planet and living in this cesspool of humanity that we might experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting for me as I think about this holiday season how easy it is to, as Brent was saying, just to not think about all the wonderful things God has done in our lives. I'll tell you a little story about this is kind of off the subject of tonight, but it relates a little bit. When I was about, I think I was 12, 12 or 13 years old, I had a younger brother. I, I have four younger brothers, and one of them who was. Uh, always wanted to try to 
get in good with me and I was hardest on him. And it was about Christmas time and and we were all going to get one another presents. Well, we didn't have to. I was the only one who had a job. I had a lawn mowing job and I kept real busy as a kid. I just worked and worked and worked and, and I, I learned a work ethic but not a saving ethic. I just worked to spend. So I just spend whatever I had. But I like to give my brothers and sisters something. I mean, as big as a tease I was and all that, I, I like to buy them things. And so I was really, it was kind of an arrogant thing to be honest. I just bought them all these little gifts and was really looking forward to watching them all open them. And so a few of them had gotten me a gift. And my brother Paul, I'll never forget this, had gotten me a gift. He's three years younger than I am. He's about nine. But he was real small for his age and he looked about seven. And I remember he handed me this gift and he was really excited. And he handed me this gift and he had opened mine and I'd spent about $20 on my little brother. And he gave me this gift and I opened it up. It was a package of grape licorice. And I took the licorice and I threw it on the floor and I screamed. I'm not going to copy it. I don't believe this. I spent 20 bucks on you and you use pathetic licorice. I don't even like grape licorice. That's the kind of person I was. It just kind of, it took every ounce of heart out of him. And he started to cry. And I was so mad I couldn't believe it. It was so disgusting. I got this stupid 50 cent licorice. That was a very painful memory for me because I was a pretty cruel individual. But you know how many times God has used that to me? Of how many times I have scoffed at the gift of life that Christ has given to me? How many times we consider the most priceless gift of all that God gave us as nothing more than dung? As nothing more than if somebody gave us a pack of licorice wrapped in a 50 cent bag saying Merry Christmas. And God has used that so many times in my life. Every time Christmas comes around to remind me of this priceless gift that our world just scoffs at and treats with such contempt. And often that I treat with contempt. God has used that in my life many, many times. And He continues to use it still as I reflect on all that God has done for us and how privileged we are. Well, as you know, two weeks ago I started a series with you entitled Authentic Christianity and last time was entitled Overcoming Christian Disillusionment. This evening is part two and it's entitled Can I Really Be Honest with God? Can I Really Be Honest with God? Probably one of the greatest blessings and joys that I find in my own life personally is the opportunity to experience God in our lives. To know Him. Intimately to know Him. It's such a rich blessing to be able to have God living inside of us. But I find that for many Christians, partly because of maybe the religious ways we were brought up, and then partly because after we come to know Christ, the devil is actively at work in the world around us, and he actively works to deceive us. You see, after we come to Christ... The biggest mission of the devil is to keep you from tearing open the package. It's kind of like Christmas. One of the most exciting things for Christmas. Christmas is more exciting to me now that I have children than it was growing up. Because I love 
to give my kids stuff. I, it's really a, a rush. I don't know if parents do it more for them or for kids. I haven't decided that yet, but, but it's a personal rush to give your kids these gifts and the little ones and they're just tearing into those things. You know, now my 10-year-old, she's like a mother, she meticulously takes off the bow, takes off it. You know how guys are, it's like, oh, just why? Put on my list. Surprise, surprise, you know. It's, you know. And, um, but you know what the devil tries to do in our Christianity is scare us of the gift. We, we have the gift, but from that point on, he works overtime to bring fear to bear in our life. He tries everything he can to keep us from experiencing all the richness of the gift that God gave us. And so what I find ends up happening is, is um, often, and, and, and this happens to varying degrees in all of our life, we have this perspective of God that He is unapproachable, stuffy, a do-it-by-the-book kind of individual who's always evaluating everything that's going on with you and and we feel like the only way we can approach God is if we use the right words. Our gracious Heavenly Father. Almighty God. We praise You. Do you ever hear people pray like that? Then they get to you. You know what it's done psychologically? It's, it's made prayer something you need a degree to do. It's made relating to God very, very, very difficult. And we have these perspectives in our mind that God is, is, dwells in this unapproachable light. Of course, the Bible says that, and the devil reminds us of that. And God dwells in unapproachable light, and He is the Holy, the Almighty, the Fearful God. And He lives up there, and boy, I'm telling you now, if you've got some good things to say to God, that's fine. If you're going to thank God, that's fine. If you're going to sing His praises, that's fine. If you're going to rejoice, that's fine. But if you've got anything else on your mind, He'd rather not hear it. And I've watched people struggle with this for years in a Christian life. And it seems to go on and on and on and on. And you just kind of like, Boy, I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel like God is relevant in my life. I mean, I've come to know the Lord, but gee, and everything seems just like a drudgery. And have you ever noticed when you get around Christians, especially particular persuasions of Christianity, it's like, supposed to be happy all the time. Happy, happy, happy. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I just went bankrupt. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. My car got wrecked today. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I was working with this guy one time and... and and he was, he was a roofer. We were roofers, you know. And, and, this, and you would believe this mentality out there. This is the truth. And we're doing these, this roofing. And he takes the bucket of nails and he spills them all over. He just, oh, praise you, Lord. Oh, all these unbelievers are, oh, hallelujah. Oh, bless you, Lord, for all the nails that are scattered everywhere. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I don't know, man. It's, it's like kind of like as Brent would say. You know what I'm saying? It was too much. But you see, even, even us, we, because we read the Bible, we know it says rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. 
And everything gives thanks, 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 thanks. So we have this, we really do, we have this misunderstanding of what it means to walk with God. And, and we have this misconception of how I relate to God. I remember a dear friend of mine telling me, man, I wish, I, I was thinking of this today, a, a cutting, cutting a new groove in Christian recording. It's called the Christian Blues. <laughs> nobody, nobody sings the blues as a Christian. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody. There's no blues singers. There's nobody who says it like it is. It always has a happy ending and everything's just beautiful and oh, praise you, Lord. And It's like, come on. Have you ever read the Psalms? I don't know. You read the same Psalms I read. Seems to me like David could sing it all. He could sing the blues. He could sing the praises. He could, he could do it all. But he did it all. We're going to look at that tonight. So often, you know, it's like Proverbs says, he who sings to a heavy heart, it's like pouring vinegar down his throat. He who sings happy-go-lucky songs to the heavy-hearted is like robbing his coat in the middle of winter. And yet somehow we feel like we're just supposed to put on this pretense with God that, Lord, I'll praise you, oh, hallelujah, and everything's great. But then when things are really difficult, where do we go? What do we do? Because, as you'll heard last week, last time, if you haven't, you can get the tape, the Christian life's not a bowl of cherries. The Christian life is... A life of trouble. It's a life of heartache. It's a life of sometimes dreams that don't come true. It's a life of struggle. It's sometimes, it's like swimming against the tide of the ocean. It's hard. It's difficult. So, I ask this question, can we really be honest with God? I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This seems to be such a fitting passage especially for this time of year. It's amazing to me, all of the songs. I remember doing Handel's Messiah in high school. And, and, and singing this song didn't mean anything to me. Not until about eight years ago did this passage in the Bible really come alive to me. It's in Isaiah chapter 9, and it says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, all of us in this room need a therapist. All of us. If you don't think so, talk to me afterwards. I'll set you straight. One of the aspects in our relationship with God is that God is our wonderful counselor. What do you do when you go to a counselor? You know, I believe this message alone, this message alone, could save the American people literally billions of dollars in every year in expenditures for things they really don't need, called therapy. I believe many of us in this room could experience a whole new dynamic in our Christian life and we just began to understand that God is a counselor. Now, what do you do when you go to a counselor? Some of you have been. I'll pretend that I have. I've talked to people who have. You pay them your money to tell them your problems. What a system. Isn't that incredible? How would you like it sometime? You call me up on the phone. I had a guy tell me this one time. He said, yeah, I called a pastor of a certain church up on the phone, talked with him, poured out my heart, and a week later I got a bill in the mail for $50. Oh, why is that so bad? You pay for therapists all the time, don't you? You pay for counselors? 
Now, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not saying it's justified, but isn't it funny how we think? And we'll go and we'll pay somebody to listen to our problems. Did you know that's the role, the primary, one of the primary roles that God wants to play in your life? He wants to listen to what's going on in your life. What you're really feeling. What you're really going through. What's going on in your mind. Hey, how many of you have ever felt like God cheated you? Have you never felt that? I'm going to talk to you later. You're not being honest. I felt like that. I felt like that this week. And I've known the Lord for years. You just not being honest with your feelings, friend. I go to God many times. God, this is not a good deal here. Man, I've been enduring the same thing for years. And I talk to God all the time. I'll tell you one of the reasons. I hope no one takes this wrong, because I don't mean this wrong. One of the reasons I'm such a healthy person is because I believe in saying it like it is to God. I don't carry all these things around with me, wrestling with them in my mind. I go tell them to God. I go tell it to God. That's what I do a lot of times. People have asked me, Mark, how do you how do you deal with this pressure? How do you deal with that? And well, the only way I cope is with my therapist. God. Turn to John chapter 14. Let me show you this in John chapter 14. John 14 and verse 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you, the Spirit of truth. You see, God's plan all along was that Jesus would leave, and then God would come and live in us. And what what is His role? Do you know the primary role? you know the primary role that the Bible tells us in the book of John? As a comforter and a counselor. He's our comforter and our counselor. The primary role of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the primary role of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life is to convict you of your sin. That's what the Bible says He will do with the world. It doesn't say that about you. It says He comes to your life to comfort you and to counsel you. So that you can go to Him. And to help us with our weaknesses. And to pray for us. Man, I'll tell you. We need to understand. We need so much more understanding of the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is God. All of God living in you when you come to Christ. And I talk to God all the time. I spend a good portion of my day today talking with God. I'll tell you something. If I didn't understand these principles, I couldn't even cope with the world I live in. I watched a program last night about the orphans in Romania, and I and I almost got sick. I wept so much, it tore up my heart so much what is going on in our society, what is going on with people around me. That if I did not have God in my life and I could not talk to Him and bear these things to Him, it would be too much for me to bear because I feel so acutely the things that other people go through. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's my giftedness that God has uniquely given me. But they weigh very heavy on me. When I look at people who are just gunned down as if they were just an animal, when I watch the brutality of our society, I'm sorry, I just can't shut that stuff off, friends. I just can't pretend it isn't really there. 
when I watch the suffering that many of you go through, things I talk with you about, the counseling I do, if I, if I couldn't go to God and bear it to Him, it would crush me. I couldn't bear the weight of it. I had an experience of, some of you have heard this before, if you've heard it, just bear with me, but it kind of changed my life. About eight and a half years ago, nine years ago, I was, uh, we lived in a trailer at the time, my wife and I, and, and my life in a trailer got pretty pretty stressful sometimes. One was because it was just cramped. I don't know if you've ever lived to try to live with five people in 582 square feet, but it gets a little cramped. And when you have small children, it can kind of wear on you. And when you two people who get in the flesh, it can kind of wear on you. One particular day, I remember I was, I just felt my boiling point rising. It was going higher and higher. And I was feeling extremely explosive. And, um, I thought, you know, I just got, I've got to get out of here now. So I put on my boots and put on my coat and put on my gloves and I said, I'm going. I'll be back later. And I went down into the woods and I was, I was mad. I was really, really mad. And I, I was kicking the snow and I was picking up some branches and I was pretending they were a certain individual and I was breaking them over the tree. And I was, oh, I was frustrated. I was tired and I was weary and I was sick of dealing with the same thing in my life. I was walking along and I was thinking, ah, oh, gee, you know, I just, I just wish I had, I just wish I had somebody to talk to. I mean, you know, I can't go talk to God like this. I can't tell Him how I'm feeling inside. Crying. This is sin. And uh, it was like this voice spoke to me this psalm. You'll turn with it to Psalm 62. Psalm 62 and verse 8. And, and it was like God, and I, I believe this, I'll show you later why, but I believe God, when He lives in us, He speaks to us. Okay? Not in this mystical voice, I just believe that the Bible tells us He bears witness with our spirit. And, and I believe He impresses things on our mind and speaks to our heart. And this verse just popped in my mind. Trust in Him at all times, O Mark. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is a refuge. Oh, I always thought God was a place to go hide, but I didn't know it meant I could dump on God. I could just pour this out to God. And so uh, I said, well, you know, Lord, as long as I have your permission, and wham, I went into it. And God, I'll tell you, I'm so, I'm sick of being married. People telling me the classic trial's waiting. Wait till they get married. What do they know what they're talking about? The hardest thing in the world's being married. I can't take it anymore, God. And I'm walking back and forth in the woods, you know, and I'm I'm telling God, I'm having some words with God. And this went on for about thirty minutes. And I was wearing a path in the snow, just like often I do on a stage. Wearing a path. Pretty soon uh, God just began. All this stuff was going out. All this, if you want to call it venom, you can call it venom. See, God can deal with venom. People can't. It just sort of began to dissipate and God began to calm my heart and say, Mark, you know, I understand, Mark. But I want you to remember, Mark, that I, I see I'm working on you. I gave you this woman for a reason. I know your strengths and your weaknesses and I know her strengths and her weaknesses. See, I knew they'd rub one another and I knew this would happen and I'm trying to build, you see. I'm trying to make you more. I know God, but I don't like it. you got to learn how to be this way. You know, it's really important. And it's, and then God says to me, well, Mark, I don't, 
son, I really don't care if you like it or not. I, I didn't ask you if you liked it. You see, Mark, you've been praying for years that I do something marvelous in your life, that for years you get in the ministry, for years that you'd be like me, haven't you? Oh, yes, yes, Lord, I did. Yes, that's right. So I'm answering your prayer. Well, God, God, jeez, oh, oh, man, why'd you have to put it that way? You know, it's like, and then the more we went back and forth, and the more I began to get this new, fresh perspective, I spent two hours out there that day. And it must have been I don't know, zero. I was down in this woods and nobody could hear me. I always make sure nobody can hear me. I'd hate to have all this on recording, you know. I could just see, you know, the Star Tribune, the news, WCCO shows up. Well, you'd have a few excerpts from Pastor Darling's prayer time. And God, I'm so down! Oh, Christmas, what is going on? Wouldn't that be horrible? That's why I always lock the doors at Fort Snelling and I'm peeking out the windows. And then I get back and I pray and... That's why I go out there because the jets fly overseas. I know it would be impossible for the KGB to bug it. You know, or the CIA or anybody else. And they can't bug me out there. And I'd hate for my family to have to hear some of that, you know. It's, so, um, anyway, I went back up. I remember walking up the hill, up to the trailer, walking in the door with a smile on my face. Went up to my wife and said, Kathy, would you forgive me for my attitude? My attitude stunk. That was just my selfishness. Boy, I thank God for you, Kathy. And we, we had a nice day. Now, I haven't always succeeded in doing that since that time. But that incident began to reshape my life. I'd like you to turn to Psalm uh, 63. Psalm 63. It says this, Hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Complaining to God, is that allowed? I mean, my Bible says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. See, the devil, the devil will try to twist Scripture so that you think you're supposed to do something you're not, or you misapply the truth. David was a very godly, very spiritual man. But he talked with God honestly. He talked with God realistically. And he allowed God in the future... I'm going to do one entitled Can God Really Be Honest With You? That's a good question. You know, will you let God be honest with you? You can be honest with God, but can God be honest with you? Well, that's another topic. But anyway, we see here that He was honest with God. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. I want to show you another incident of this. A lot of times when you go through the Psalms, I think you'll notice this. Psalm 13. How long, O God, will you forget me forever? Now, what kind of an exaggeration is that? How long will you hide your face from me? How long do I have to wrestle with my thoughts all by myself and every day have sorrow in my heart? Lord, how long is the enemy going to triumph over me? I can see the Lord going, well, well, David, about as long as you want to have that kind of a pathetic attitude. God doesn't talk like that. But you see the point? Here David, he's struggling with doubts just like you and I do. How long, God, is this going to have to go on? God, it seems like you've forgotten about me. I was talking to a young woman the other evening and, and uh, I knew before she came, when she came, what probably the struggle was. I knew it because sometimes, you know, people have said to me, Mark, how, I feel like you've had my mind. Now, now what is going on here? I always tell them, well, I'm psychic. Not really. Not really. You know what? I just am honest with my own human nature. And nine times out of ten, I already know what you're experiencing because I've done it and I've identified it 
and, and been real about it and honest about it. She came to me and, and we were talking and, and the real struggle she was having, I said, you know, sister, I said, um, I think what's really going on is you feel like God has cheated you in this matter, don't you? And she started to cry. I said, yes, I do. And you're starting to wrestle with your convictions about this particular area, whether it's really going to come true or not, aren't you? Yes, I am. I said, I understand that. So does God. See, we're not, we don't think right all the time and have perfect thoughts. But what we need to learn to do is understand we can be honest with God. People have been being honest with God for years. Thousands of years. See, and this is David. Turn to, to a Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is another good one. You may not have ever thought about it before. But man, this is a recorded complaint by Asaph. And he says, he's kind of being a smart aleck here. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Lord, they don't have any struggles. I mean, their bodies are healthy, strong. They're free from the burdens I have. They're not plagued by the human ills I have. Lord, they scoff. They speak. They say, how can God know? Does the most have knowledge? This is the wicked are. They're carefree. Their wealth increases. And God, what, about, what do I get for being righteous? I mean, it's, it's total vanity. I kept my heart pure. I wish my hands in innocence. It's all in vain. All day long I'm plagued and I've been punished every single day. Have you ever felt that way? How many have ever felt that way? Well, I'm glad there's a few human beings in our midst tonight. Honest human beings. I'm sorry, I've felt that way many times and I've felt that way even in the ministry. Man, God, I just see... You know, look, God, why can I win the lottery? Well, why couldn't I win the sweepstakes? I mean, at least I'd use the $2 million for the glory of God. Might buy a house with it too, Lord, but that's okay. Why stewardship? <laughs> and you got to somebody's just going to blow it. Especially when you're having those tough financial times. When things seem so rough. Well, God knew that some people would be like this, so he recorded it. He says, I said... But I, if I say this, Jimmy, if I say this to people, I will trade them because, you know, and when I tried to understand this, this was oppressive to me. So, I went and talked to God about it. That's what he's saying. You see, in Israel, the sanctuary was where God was. They didn't have what we have. We are the sanctuary of God now, and He lives in us, but you didn't have that in Israel. So here he goes. Asaph goes off to the sanctuary. He starts to talk to God, and all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle start to fit. Why? Because Asaph was honest. Because he was honest about what was going on in his life. Turn to 1 Kings 19. I want to show you something here. 1 Kings 19. I have a few um, mentors in the Bible, and this man in particular is one of them. 1 Kings 19. Ever since I was a little boy, my mother used to tell me the stories about Elijah. And I was old enough to read about him. Elijah is kind of like my hero. And I want to read it starting in verse uh, 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent him to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. 
Elijah was afraid and ran. I'll tell you, nothing worse than the wrath of a woman. I want to tell you, it'll scare you. It will make your blood curdle. I think Jezebel may have had PMS this week. And it was really heavy on her because before he stood up to her, see, to Ahab, Jezebel was Ahab's wife. She was queen. But I'm telling you, this was getting heavy now, and he's scared. See, he's scared. Elijah wasn't married, so he didn't know how to deal with this. And so at this time in his life, he's running. Kind of like all of us husbands do. Well, hon, I think you need some time with the Lord. I think, um, yeah, Doug and John and I, I think we need to spend some time in prayer. You guys are laughing. Well, I'm glad. We have our times too. Uh, I have my times anyway. Anyway, he says this. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a boom tree and he sat under it and prayed that he might die. God, like, you know, I've had enough. Like, just end it now, God. I know you've prayed that. How many have called me on the phone? Oh, I just want the Lord to come back now. And what you're really saying is, I just want to die. I'm sick of life. I'm sick of the ordeal God's given me. Why didn't God just come back now? That's what you're saying. Be honest. You're not so anxious to embrace Jesus and hug Him and kiss Him. It's like, God, just come back now! His life stinks. Okay, that's what Elijah's doing. It's like, God, just take me. Because I know better than my ancestors... Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. You ever done that? Depression is a great thing. Frustration. You yell, you cry, and then what do you do? You curl up in a ball and go to sleep. Yeah, that's right. It's just kind of, you eat a little, drink a little, and uh, I'm just going to bed. Who cares? And that's Elijah. See, Elijah lives where you live, and we live where he lives. All at once, this is a beautiful thing here, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around. And there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank. And then he lay down again. This is an extraordinary picture. Because you know what we think? Hey, Christian! Get up! This is God speaking! I've about had it, you know. All you ever do is grumble, gripe, complain, rejoice in me, praise my name. That isn't what God did. He sent a special messenger to comfort and encourage Elijah. And he made him a little bit to eat, warm his belly, gave him a little bit to drink, and then you know what he let him do? He let him go back to bed. Oh, how unspiritual. How many of you take naps, by the way, anyway? What a carnal use of time. Man, I know people who reproof for taking a nap. That's pathetic. Here's Elijah. Naps are from God. I just want to confirm... Yes, amen. I just, I just, I, I wanted to go on record. What Brent shared about power naps is totally biblical. And if your power nap happens to be an hour or two, well, to each his own. Okay? And then he says, get up for the journey is too much. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. I just love this. It's just sort of like, you know, Sleeping Beauty, just with a kiss. And an angel didn't kiss him, but it was just a light touch. Just kind of like nudged him like, Elijah, get up. Get up. And he says, listen, you, got, uh, you need to eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food... Listen to this. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. 
That's what I call being encouraged. Yes, no depression here. Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, now, here comes God. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is what I like to see. The word of the Lord. I believe the word of the Lord still comes to us. I believe in this God still talks to us. And I have these dialogues all the time. It's like, hey Mark, what are you doing here? Look God, I have been very zealous for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken your orders. they put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said, look, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God for the Lord is about to pass by. It's like, you know what God is saying? Do you know the beauty of this? Elijah, my friend, let's go out on the mountain and let's get some perspective here. That's what God is saying. I love the Rocky Mountains. If I didn't believe God called me here, I'd be in Idaho or the Rockies. Because to me, they're the most awesome statement of God. And you get up, I have a picture of my brother and I, and our hands were up on the edge of this mountain. It's so incredible. The rest of the world disappears when you're on a mountain. And if you've never experienced it, take a vacation this summer, go there, and you'll experience it. You'll feel it. It's just kind of this. And here's what happens. This great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Now this is extraordinary. I've never seen this happen yet. Okay? And shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind... After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What? Here's the same thing again. What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, Elijah... Remember, I'm God. See, I just made the, the rock shatter. I just created an earthquake. And I just created a fire like, Elijah, remember, I'm on your side. Well, Elijah still didn't quite get through him. You think you have a hard heart sometime? Think about this. Look at Elijah's answer. When God said, what are you doing here? Elijah didn't say, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I just realized I'm being a weenie. I'm being a whip. And God, I'm going to go forward in courage and boldness. And I'm going to trust you, God. Hallelujah! That isn't what he did. It didn't get through. He says, look, God, I told you what. I've been very zealous. The, he says the same thing. The Israelites have broken your covenant, broken down your orders, put the prophets to the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He says the same thing again. This, I love this relationship here. Then the Lord said, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphath from Abel Mahalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elisha went from there and found Elisha. What's so cool about the Lord is, is that he gives some, Elijah something positive to go do, then rail on him. Here's this guy, this wimp, and he's going, come on, quit being so wimpy. He says, look, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't worry about how you're feeling. Let's go forward, man. Go do these things. You're going to conquer. And, and oh, by the way, you're not the only one left. 
There are 7,000 others like you who are passionate for God. God is incredible in His ability to encourage us. He's incredible. If, my friends, if you will let Him. Lastly, turn to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's, excuse me, it's Hebrews 4. I always think this is 5 and it's 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This to me is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible because what we're talking about here is a holy, righteous, extraordinary, awesome God. Does God ever try to lay that on us? If you read through the Bible, it's really amazing. I I was at a conference one time put on by an individual and I respect them they handed out this book then, and I was going through it. They were describing what it meant to fear God and they were talking about Christians. And they were saying to fear God means to tremble in His presence, to fear and to be afraid. And I looked at that and I thought, are we reading the same Bible? And then the more I read, the more I realized this particular individual is seeped in the Old Testament. My Bible tells me to go to the throne of grace, not the throne of condemnation. With confidence, not groveling on the ground. So we may receive mercy, not judgment, and grace, not an accusation, to help us in our time of need. Not only can you be honest with God, but it will change your life to be honest with God. For many people, I find that prayer is not an active part of their life. If I did not pray, I would not survive. Often you read stories of people who have survived. You read in the Reader's Digest, in the guidepost, you hear people tell the story. I want to tell you that's not a lie. Prayer is the essence of survival. And my definition is simple heart-to-heart honesty with God. Now, there's aspects of talking to God. I thank Him and I praise Him and I supplicate Him to use these biblical Christian words. And I petition Him and I basically beg Him and plead with Him and argue with Him and I wrestle with Him. But I want to share something with you. If you wonder sometimes in your life why you're feeling so tensed and why you feel like you have to hide from other people, people who hide from God hide from other people. You see, the key to authentic Christianity is being authentic with God. And if you have trouble being authentic with a person sitting next to you, and you're always trying to hide what's really going on, I'll tell you why. Because you actively hide it from God. See, you might as well not because God already knows it. It doesn't do nothing for God for you to tell it to Him. It does everything for you to tell it to Him. It's therapeutic, it's life changing, and then God can talk back to you. As, it's, as your heart soften. Now I want to share this with you. It's very important. It's very important. If you want to change your life, one simple thing, this will change your life forever. When you come home from work or during your busy evening, get up off your couch, 
Get away from the television or the family or whatever. Husbands, give your wife some space. Wives, give your husband some space. And get to a private place and let's start doing some heart-to-heart talking with God. For some of you, let me share with you another method that will work. I'm a talker. I'm a communicator. For me, this is the most therapeutic thing I do. I was watching a show the other day because I had to. It was Sally Jesse Raphael and I don't really get into Sally that much. But she had these people on, these older women whose daughters had all been raped and murdered. And this one woman was sharing her story and she was 60 years old, she was sobbing. And they asked her how she got through it. Did you go see a therapist? She said, no, I really didn't go see a therapist. She said, I just trapped whoever I could when I was on an airplane or a bus station and I made them listen to my story. You know why? Because talking is therapeutic. The only way to bring about healing in the inside is to communicate with somebody. But the, the person who can really heal it is God. He can heal it now. Some of you write better than you talk. You feel, you feel like you're able to express yourselves more. I know one individual, man of God, pastor of one of the fastest growing largest churches in the United States. And he prays exclusively by writing things down. Every morning, he's, very, he's an early kind of guy. He's up at 5 in the morning, he hits his office at 6, and from 6 to 6.30, he writes. In a journal, he writes his prayers out to God. Now that may work really well for you. I know some of you here that do that. All I'm saying to you is do something. Be honest with God. For me, I, I talked to one brother here, his name's Rick, most of them, you know, we go on prayer walks. That's what I do, only in the same place. I pace. And I walk, and I walk around my fire, and I pray. Then I'll sing, then I pray some more. Oh, God brings, the Holy Spirit brings this to my mind. I pray about that. My prayers are very disjointed. They follow usually, oh, that came to my mind. Oh, but this is on my heart. It'll change your life. It will change your life. God is not only giving you the permission, but He's begging us to be honest with Him. He's begging us to be honest with Him. And as you're honest with Him... I'll tell you what, the world will be attracted to your life because it cannot help but be an authentic Christian life. Let's pray.